Welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.ie. You know the drill at this stage. Every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. We'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. If you want to get more from that game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com and also remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit DrinkAware.e on how to do so. My own name is Gavin Casey. I'm joined in studio here by Murray Kinsler of the 42.e and Andy Dunn, you're back. Welcome I'm back, back, Andy. Yeah, thank you. It's great Ho- to be back. Hopefully you're here to stay. We missed you. <laughs> Uh, Murray, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, it's been a very exciting week. Um, can't wait for Saturday. It's the most excited I've been for a game for some time now. Yeah, there's a buzz. Yeah, there is. Me, I have to say, it's <laughs> rare, rare to see you like this. But you're, you're, you're really. Um... Yeah, it's going to be a special day. Look, it's going to be an incredible rugby game. We'll, we'll get stuck into it now, but there's so much to it, and so much on the line, so many little subplots. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, thanks a million to everybody who came out last night to Liberty Hall Theatre. Uh, about 400 of you. It was great to see you all. Hopefully you had a, an enjoyable night. I enjoyed it. Did you, Murray? It was a great night. Really good. Ronan O'Gara was in flying form. Um, got a few good laughs as well and a bit of rugby chat. So yeah, really, really enjoyable evening. Super. Well, before we uh, look into that game with the All Blacks, then let's have a quick run through of some of the other stories. How about uh, Bayveen Parsons, Murray? Some achievement. Yeah, incredible. 16-year-old uh, on the bench for Ireland women on Sunday. They're playing the USA in, in Donnybrook. Uh, kickoff is at 1pm. Um, it's just incredible that a 16-year-old is going to be playing a senior international match, the youngest Irish international ever, if she gets off the bench. Um, I kind of heard a, bi- a bit about her talent. Uh, there's a lot of excitement within women's rugby in Ireland about her ability, even physically already. She's standing out in some of these training sessions they've had, a uh, very pacey kind of winger, uh, potentially even a centre long term. But it kind of points to what they're trying to do in, in the women's rugby programme, I guess. Um, having girls playing younger, you know, so they're not coming from other sports. They haven't really played rugby. You know, that story is quite familiar now. Maybe jump over from basketball or whatever, or, or Gaelic football. Now you're getting girls who have played a lot of rugby in the youth system and that I get that skill base is massive in in men's rugby as well there you know you have 10 years of rugby behind you before you get into that international <coughs> environment so it's really positive there's a couple other players there I think Enya Breen's an 18 year old she's injured at the moment uh, there's a couple more Avian Riley Daisy Earl named in that squad as well so 17, 18 year old 19 year old players who are now going to be stepping up in the next couple of years really really exciting for women's rugby 16 must be a record is it I presume yeah it'll be a new record youngest yeah. player ever for Ireland or worldwide? For women's rugby. Women's rugby, yeah. And what about the men's senior team? I think there was Johnny Johnny Coleman in the 60s was capped as a scrum half when he was still in sixth year for St. Mary's. Incredible. Um, but I don't know if that's been beaten. Uh, some people have said to me, is a 16-year-old physically ready to play uh, international rugby? Which is a fair question, but it seems like Bavian Parsons, in fairness to her, is a really good athlete and will be well able for, for that standard. Unbelievable. Uh, Tom Farrell and Adam Byrne trained with Ireland. Yeah, really good news for the two guys. Um, it, obviously, a couple of injuries in the Ireland squad this week. Um, and Joe Schmidt is always kind of looking at that second, or the, rather next layer of player. Uh, Tom Farrell's been really good for Connacht now consistently. Um, and a lot of people were calling for his inclusion. So good to see him get in there, get us a, a taste of that kind of senior international environment. Um, Byrne is a guy who obviously got capped last year, this time last year. Looked to be on a, a really kind of swift rise then he got a couple of injuries. There's so much competition on the wing in Leinster and he dropped away. He's back in really good physical condition. He hasn't played a whole lot of games, three times I think for Leinster and a couple of tries this season. But um, obviously with that news that Joe Tamani is now out for five months, it looks like he may get a, a bit more opportunity. Um, and it just, I think it's, it says a lot about Joe Schmidt. Even while he's preparing for the All Blacks, he's already considering what's to come. Even if he's not here, these guys are getting exposure. And I think that's one of the, the geniuses of Joe Schmidt. He's got his finger on absolutely everything in Irish rugby. Yeah. From Adam Byrne's perspective in particular, Andy, like it, it's a nice vote of confidence, I think, isn't it? Having figured so little and having had his struggles that he's still in Schmidt's reckoning. Yeah, I potentially have a more cynical view in oh, that. No. Uh, <laughs> I would have been... Uh, would have been quite a number of occasions called in to train with the Irish squad over my career um, but it's often to um, you know to take a 
bit of a hiding physically and get the guys primed for the game and it doesn't necessarily transfer into being in, in the coach's selection criteria. It, it may it may mean you're competent enough to train against the group but also uh, a bit expendable <laughs> physically. Uh, dare I say it, it's just uh, maybe that's just years of physical pain. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds out. like there's a and bit of emotional hurt <laughs> coming out here as well, Andy. Just pretty pain, physically painful stuff. Uh, the emotional stuff I got over, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, uh, Jacob Stockdale is a massive fan of Lego you discovered during the week, Murray. Yeah, like you go out to the kind of press days on in Carton House and often they can be probably a little bit dull for player and journalists alike. There's not, often not much said. It's kind of a... a, a, a almost a challenge for the players not to say anything really, not give anything away. So you're kind of looking for something different. And and Jacob Stockdale is big into his Lego, really big into it. Um, it was actually Ryan from the 42 had mentioned to me, he saw it on Instagram. So just asked him about it and he spent about five, six minutes talking about how much he loves it. He basically goes a couple of nights before a game and buys a big set. Like he just finished the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars, about 8,000 pieces. And he... And he you know, it's kind of a nerdy habit, a nerdy kind of fun activity for him. He gets a bit of slagging, but he also said it's it's kind of like a mindfulness thing now. He didn't even realize when he was starting it, but like, you know, they're sitting around Thursday, Friday, trying to kill the hours before a massive test match. He said, I can sit down and spend five hours in this. And then I come out of it and I realize, oh, I actually haven't thought about the game for, for five <laughs> hours here. What what did you used to do, Andy? Um, <clears throat> I've been asked that. Well, painting, a little bit of painting. Oh, nice. Yeah. What so did you paint? Um... I would do bad acrylics or bad oil painting, but I did find that exact um, experience of escapism takes your mind away from an important game. And if you can find something for two or three hours that's not too physically taxing, um, it can be a nice little escape, yeah. Do you still have the paintings? I would have a few, yeah. Um, would you mind bringing one in next week? Maybe we can have a look at it. I'm not sure you want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> but they're expression. It, they're expressionist. Ah, that's fair. Is is there? Yeah, I suppose. Like, obviously, nerves are going to kick in, and like I remember, I, because we were doing the show with Rog, I watched back his documentary, and he was talking about like in the week leading up to big games, he'd be vomiting. That's how sort of how much it got on top of him. But is that every week? Like you're going through that, or, or how no, you... no, I wouldn't. Jacob Stockdale vomiting on Lego. I think well in fairness Roger would have played a hell of a lot more uh, important and higher intensity games than I did but I think it's an individual character trait or not and so you find that some guys are incredibly relaxed the more important the game and that's their coping strategy I wouldn't have been the type to get too wound up prior to a game and you know some guys get very aggressive even as it gets closer and closer to the game and and will shout and talk a lot and some guys will have a joke and it, it can it can wind groups up I think it's important that some the team themselves understand maybe two or three of these guys like to get proper psyched up two or three of them like to have a joke but probably not to get in each other's way all that much right um, but and I suppose the you know getting sick early in the week that's I don't know that's Raj yeah. <laughs> even even beyond the emotional side of it like you, you almost forget like people go and watch them play on a Saturday but like the players spend so much time sitting around hotels doing absolutely nothing yeah. in between training <clears> sessions <throat> and obviously it's a great career and, and they, they're not complaining about it but it is kind of boring for them at times I, I was speaking to John Quillies with the USA team a guy from Cork and he said that was one of the kind of major shortcomings in the last regime. They were just bored all the time. They sit around yeah. the hotel doing nothing. They'd be staying in places outside cities just to save uh, money for for the union. Yeah. Um, but now they've put a big folks and actually having a bit of crack and having a bit of fun, and they're they're playing more for each other. It's it's little things that that kind of get you through that boring week. Almost. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is important. The the I think a lot of players have been encouraged. I remember Declan Kidney was big on this, uh, and he, he would have been when did he start as Irish coach? I think oh seven. Um, and obviously winning a Grand Slam in 09, but he was a big um, proponent of, of getting guys away from idle time in the hotel where their mind could wander. And you, you, you um, there's a famous story about asking Keane Healy what does he do in his spare time in front of the Irish squad and Keane Healy himself says painting and Declan said well look I don't want you getting up and down off ladders and things he thought he was actually out painting <laughs> houses <laughs> so uh, Keane who was big and tough was actually telling him look you know yeah. on the softer side and he was so delighted um, by that so um, and I you know again Keane and I'm using as an example I think is now learning how to make knives mm. that's his latest pastime but it's if they can put their creativity and take their mind off 
a big game. I think it's really it's really important for him. So the Ireland team has been named for Saturday's test with New Zealand. Gary Ringrose returns, Rob Kearney returns, Devin Toner starts. Is that a surprise to you, Murray? Not really, I have to say. Um, I think considering how things went in the line-out in particular last weekend, Ian Henderson was calling it and they had a bit of a rough time there. Obviously, the Argentinians had a big say in that. They picked Guido Petty at, at blindside and he was really good at the, the tail of the line-out, made some good reads there. Um, but I think this was probably coming all along, really. Devin Toner has been picked more than any player by Joe Schmidt. He's been an absolute integral part of, of some of the biggest wins that, that Ireland have had under Schmidt. Um, and he's a really reliably calm influence. I thought, you know, he he was really missed last weekend. Even things like restarts, a, a simple facet of the game that you take for granted, you often don't even watch them because you're, you know, distracted after the try, you're having your little chat. Suddenly Ireland have lost the ball, you're kind of going, what happened there? Um, and he's just so reliable in, in those areas of the game. He, he calls it the line out really sensibly as well, into space, not too much fuss. Um, and he's very kind of, you can't really fluster him you know a lot of his teammates t- talk about that even in intense moments in games uh, he's never overly aggressive he's never not aggressive enough there, there's just a really good balance to his personality so yeah I think it's a sensible selection to, to bring him back in alongside Ryan and, and the other ones make sense as well Rob Carney I think if he got fit he was always going to be selected for this game you saw again the aerial stuff last weekend Jordan Larmer, while beating five defenders again and looking really good in that department, he he knocked on two balls and then he let the other one bounce just over his try line, which you can't really see happening with, with Rob Carney on the pitch. There was a just maybe that lack of assurance at the back for Ireland. And those are big momentum, potentially game-changing moments in the air um, that Rob Carney generally provides for you. And just his, his experience in a game like this is, is really important. Obviously, they're missing Sean O'Brien who the Kiwis don't really like playing against um, and they often talk about that but Dan Levy was excellent off the bench really abrasive uh, got a couple of clean turnovers at the breakdown and he's also a, a really strong carrier so I think it's a, it's a pretty good Irish team considering what they've lost obviously Robbie Henshaw a big blow a, a guy who the last time they beat the All Blacks um, obviously scored that winning try or the, the kind of game ceiling try but also was really good in the physical exchanges in that game so he'll be missed but yeah, I do like the, the look of that Irish 23. Yeah, what can we expect uh, differently, I suppose, from last weekend, Andy? Maybe particularly looking at Gary Ringrose. It was a makeshift midfield against Argentina, albeit both Aki and, and Will Addison performed very well. But uh, a little bit more familiarity, I think, between the two players in this one. As a combination together, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. I think um, we we chatted a couple of weeks back about uh, Bundiaki's off-the-ball contribution to uh, the Connacht narrow loss down in Ospreys. And, and uh, we had commented about, I suppose, how much, how verbal he was and how communicative he was on the field. Um, and the likes of a, a very young but talented Will Addison isn't probably going to bring that to any group yet. Not to Ulster, probably not to, to Ireland. But I think apart from the physical traits and the skill level and the, you know, the the likes of the bravery and courage that Aki has, he does have a, a paternal uh, kind of role with younger players, even just based on how he is as a personality. I think they look up to him on the field. And I think in really tough, intense test matches like this, players do get a bit stifled, you know, at key moments. And if there's somebody, you know, gathering in people and, and maintaining kind of calm or conversation and, and giving direction, even if it's verbally, it's hugely important. I mean, my own history or, or memory was probably playing with Will Greenwood, who was exceptionally good at that. He would tell the story of the game as it's happening, which provides reassurance because if you're talking about split-second decisions that have have huge effect on the game and there are turning points you may miss the the ramifications of a bad call you don't actually realize in the heat of battle where someone like will and then obviously a more modern day version is is aki seems to be able to absorb that be calm and controlled and and talk to the group and it's a hugely important in the direction and coaches love guys like that because they're lieutenants on the field sexton is like that murray is probably like that and and a guy like Aki seems to be hugely respected by his peers for that. Mm. Imagine how fired up for this game he is as well. Because um, there's been a bit of chat about him all week. I think Joe was talking about it out of Carton House today. Um, a couple of kind of strange comments from Ian Foster, the assistant coach. Very odd. Yeah, very odd. And I imagine like he is a player who plays with that kind of emotional 
passion, I guess, and he's going to be more fired up than ever. He beats defenders quite regularly, but I, I, we can expect a couple more uh, big collisions in the midfield. You mentioned Murray there, Andy, and obviously the fact that he's not back. We started the week with a bit of excitement around that. Steve Hansen kind of stirring the pot, <laughs> uh, but that was quickly put to bed. But I, it was quite apparent what, what they missed, I thought, last weekend. Uh, obviously, that wasn't going to be as apparent in Chicago, but then against the Pumas, I, I just felt you, you saw that lack of control um, maybe the lack of really decisive decision making the one that stood out to me w- was that bit just before half time where they kicked the ball out with 20 seconds to go and allowed the Argentinians to have one more attack against them missed with the, the drop goal attempt but against the All Blacks you know they're so good at line out attack that's potentially a score uh, a try like so I think they the, the, the signs in that regard were a little bit worrying uh, obviously Marmion and, and Luke McGarr aren't going to be Conor Murray because he's he's the best in the world but um, I think we'll see a little bit more of that again and, and it puts even more onus on Johnny to Johnny Sexton to make uh, really good decisions. Yeah, let's talk uh, the All Blacks then. I saw the New Zealand Herald had a live blog actually for their team announcement, which is a, an unusual development. We should start doing that. Yeah, more to Bay. <laughs> One change, Murray. A man very familiar to Ronan O'Gara has come into the, the uh, fray. Yeah, his good mate Ryan Crotty from the Crusaders. Uh, Sonny Bill Williams obviously picked up that shoulder AC injury against England came off uh, early enough in in the game and, and Crotty came on and had a really good performance again he's so consistent um, while Sonny Bill Williams is kind of showtime those big offloads a pretty unique skill set Crotty is an unbelievably consistent performer really intelligent rugby player he's one of those kind of glue like players a bit like Bundiaki has been for Ireland um, and I don't think they'll lose too much uh, in terms of the collective, by having Crotty in there, Anton Leonard-Brown comes onto the bench as well, another excellent centre, but it's a, a really strong New Zealand team. Um, they are at the end of their season. There'll be a bit of fatigue, no doubt. I'd, I'd say they've tapered off their training a bit um, and, and potentially enjoyed themselves a bit this week just to kind of re-energise. Um, but it is really, really impressive on paper and certainly stronger than the last time, uh, sorry, in, in Chicago when they were missing those two second rows, in particular Retallick and Whitelock. That was a really decisive factor in that game in 2016. And we saw the damage Retallick can do at line-out time last weekend against England on the ball as well. He's so important in terms of his kind of playmaking almost, the, the decision-making on the ball, when to carry, when to pass. He absolutely smashes rooks. He's got that vicious edge on him. So he'll make a huge difference. Like if you look at the All Blacks, They've lost four games since the last World Cup and Retallick was missing for three of those. <clears throat> in the other one, they got the red card for Sonny Bill Williams, which probably was the decisive factor there. But for me, Retallick is actually their most important player. So he's going to be a, a big game changer for me. Yeah, Andy, when you look at the New Zealand team to play Ireland this weekend versus that which faced us twice in 2016, what are the differences? Like, are they of a similar ilk, even to this, say the team that won the last World Cup? Um, well, the team that won the last World Cup, they had they had a shift, a selection policy shift, I think, from about two thousand and seven onwards. That I think the average All Black cap total was like thirty. Most got, the, their best players got twenty five to thirty, and they were usually gone up to the English Premiership at that stage or the top fourteen, and would effectively cash in their chips and tr- treble their money and go back home buy a farm in Otago. Like ten years later, that's how it worked. But uh, I think on the back of a couple of World Cup horror shows, they had a, a shift in selection policy and they stuck with guys and they they. They got more money and they funded their best players to stay in New Zealand for as long as as physically possible, which led to a glut of, for the first time ever, 100 cappers. Like Sean Fitzpatrick was the only guy with 100 caps for so long and the closest to him was 40, 50 max. And then everyone else was under under that at 25 to 30. Suddenly they, they win the World Cup back to back with, you know, arguably six, seven people with 100 caps plus. Um, and I think it's given them consistency through that period, then obviously a huge, you know, central core of that group retired. And now they're they're back in, I think they're very much back in a place where, okay, I'm not sure, is there a single 100 capper? Uh, maybe Kieran Reid, is he close? On the current squad, but there's definitely not as much experience. I wouldn't say there's as much, uh, they're not as clinical, they're not as cold-hearted leaders that they had in that group between Conrad Smith Carter, uh, Mialamu, uh, you know, you could go on and, and name five more, but the, the that's probably one of the key differences with their current crop and, and um, 
they're building, I think they're very much building towards the same idea and, and multiple caps for similar players or the same guys again and again, but they're not quite at the level they were um, in my mind. Yeah, just going back briefly to Brody Ritalik, because there's a question here we have on Instagram from Andrew Fair. He says, how do you think Ireland can overcome the line-out threat of Whitelock and Ritalik? Like, obviously, Devin Toner will play a large role in that, but is there a way of targeting their line-out? Like, because it has been very strong, they've been scoring a lot more from it than they had, say, even two years ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a massive source for any side. Like, the predominant number of tries in rugby are scored from line-out platforms, but the All Blacks, I guess, have had a little bit of a shift in the last two years probably uh, they'd still do score a lot of their tries from kick return and turnover that's always going to be a strength of their game but now they're actually even scoring uh, like the largest share of their tries from line out possession so that's going to be a really really key battleground in, th- in this weekend a guy like Peter Manny, you saw his line out steal against the Pumas it actually looked like it was an Irish throw into yeah. the line out it was such clean a ball off the top it was quite incredible he's so explosive off the ground really good lift from Furlong and Toner in that instance as well um, he's going to be vital in attacking uh, the All Blacks and trying to just make that possession scrappy because <clears> if it is clean quality possession then you know the delivery down to the scrum half is going to be good you know that the scrum half pass is going to be perfect you know that Bowden Barrett is going to make a good decision on the ball and the running lines off him are going to be perfect if you can even just add a little bit of uh, messiness to that that line out win even um, and just make Aaron Smith check a little bit then you just give yourself a little bit more time further out the line so It's about disruption then and not necessarily like looking for a steal every time but just making yeah. it as uncomfortable as possible and slowing them down a fraction so you can gather your thoughts and go after them essentially. Exactly like and, and raw line out figures do tell us a lot like England what was it they lost 5 out of 15 last weekend that told the story but I mean, England could, in another game, they could have won 15 out of 15, but the ball may not have actually been a really good possession. Um, so they're a little bit deeper in that in terms of the, those stats. So I think guys like Peter O'Mahony and also the lifters working really intelligently on the ground, James Ryan Toner, those guys in the middle of the line out uh, to, to just really pressure Retallick and Whitelock uh, will be absolutely key. Yeah, another question here uh, from Jason McCabe. By the way, thanks for your questions and we'll pick a winner for the book uh, towards the end of the show. But Jason asks... Uh, given the relatively unknown nature of Dan Levy in the Kiwis' eyes, is he in fact actually a better starter than Sean O'Brien this weekend? Not sure how unknown he will be, but certainly they'll know less of him than they know of Sean O'Brien, surely. Yeah, like there's massive respect for Sean O'Brien. Uh, Richie McCall's asked a few years ago like about po- opponents he doesn't like playing against. Um, and he mentioned O'Brien. We were speaking to him last week and he called him a tough dude again. That was his term for him. Um, but he said, yeah, they, they didn't really like playing against him because he's so abrasive, so aggressive. In his mind, he's he's better than those players from New Zealand. There's no inferiority complex there. Um, and I think Dan Levy's pretty much of the same mould, isn't he? His, his mindset is that he's the best seven uh, on the pitch uh, this weekend. Um, and he'll take that abrasive mindset to, to everything he does. We mentioned the turnover threat. He can offload. Uh, he's a good uh, rocking player as well. Uh, the only thing he probably doesn't have is, is the line out. I think he gets a bit of slagging uh, over not being an option there. But <laughs> certainly there's massive quality in, in O'Brien's replacement there I don't think it's going to weaken Ireland particularly I don't he's not as probably not as physically he doesn't have as much timber on him as Sean does mm. and that, that probably does matter against the All Blacks a little in terms of ball carrying but Sean has such respect from the British Lions series where he was Jonathan Davies I think was, was voted best player yeah. of the series but he was very close second uh, over that three game series and we could argue maybe in, in years to come was that Sean O'Brien's peak level of his career um, quite possibly um, and I, that level of respect he has from the All Blacks again you, it's nice to stop them in their tracks even for a split second if it's about respect and you have a guy who can do it so I do think in you know based on those couple of things he is he's a little bit of a loss but Levy is an exceptionally tough character mentally um, and for what he m- mightn't have in a, in a few extra pounds of muscle compared to Sean he, he certainly matches him in terms of aggression and intensity and just drive and will to win but the the, the slightly worrying thing of the, the combination selection for back row and bench for me is that he Joe's gone with um, Van der Fleer as a as a potentially a like for like seven for seven replacement on the bench, and I'm I'm just looking at it and concerned that if CJ got injured early, and um, we don't have an we don't really have an out and out eight replacement to come in. Peter O'Mahony, uh, Murray was saying earlier, has played a little bit there in his underage career, but 
Jordy Murphy is fit and available. I think Jack Conan is too. And Jordy can obviously play seven and eight and, and he started the game in Chicago. So I was surprised to see that selection. Yeah, Vanderfeer kind of caught them by surprise as well in 2016 in that second game. Maybe not necessarily the team and Steve Hansen, but people watching in New Zealand. I remember seeing so many tweets from down there like, who is this guy? He's a freak. <laughs> so hopefully Dan Levy can have uh, the same impact. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the All Blacks and their attack. Uh, so why is the All Blacks attack the best in the world? How are they so good at what they do? I'll start with yourself, Murray. Yeah, well, Andy Farrell, the Ireland defence coach, certainly agrees with you. He labelled them that again this week, and it's very hard to argue, um, even based on the stats, 68 tries in their 12 games so far this year. That's like 5.66 on average per game. So they've been lethal as always. Um, and it's just a variety of ways they can break you down. We, we mentioned earlier on, the line-out is obviously a big source for them. They're really good off set-piece. Like, a lot of their tries are those kick return turnover like 22% each of the tries they scored have come from those two sources 37% from the line out and, and they've got that ability to kind of hit up really well get over the gain line and when they get that kind of lightning quick ball under three seconds per ruck because their decision making their individual footwork um, and their timing of pass their ability to sit a defender run at his inside shoulder fix him before they pass those little individual um, skills are so good that once they're onto the front foot and the defence is reorganising maybe slightly disjointed maybe one of the props close to the ruck is a little bit lazy and doesn't get out the line and, and the, the kind of numbering up is a little bit off they're so clinical at taking advantage of that there's so many different aspects to their to their attack like you know all of them can ball carry well in that, in that four pack they have good footwork they're really powerful guys which probably does get overlooked a little bit. 2016 in Dublin was a reminder of just how physical they are. And because they score such beautiful tries at times, you maybe overlook that. So there are a variety of ways they can attack. Even against England last weekend, you saw it. The conditions obviously dictated that they couldn't open up as much as they would have liked. They went really narrow between the two 15-metre channels and they bashed away with McKenzie probably offering that little bit of unpredictability. Uh, got them over a gain line with his footwork uh, a couple of times. Um, and him coming from the back, like that kick return turnover attack, he is a massive part of that. I wondered if Ben Smith would maybe come into fullback from the wing for this game just because of the aerial uh, accuracy that Ireland have and no doubt they'll go after Damian McKenzie as the English did. Like even that mole try just before that, they put up a kick on top of him. He drops it in the air with Ashton competing with him mm. and Bowden Parr picks it up in an offside uh, place. So Joe Schmidt will have absolutely noted that. But... He gives them this delightful uh, attacking flair and creativity. Um, as soon as there's a turnover, you'll see him flooding up from the back. Um, just that energy, that opportunity to pick out a, a, a defender who's mismatched a, a second row or a prop. Um, so on top of the set-piece stuff, they're really good off scrum as well. You know, they use really simple plays. Even sometimes they'll just hit Bowden Barrett or Moanga flat allow them to use their pace to actually just beat that first defender on the drift. Even if it's not a clean bust, you're five metres over the gain line, you've got guys floating around the corner um, and all those good decision makers. So it's just a really rounded threat. And obviously the, it's a result of the system um, to a large degree, but when they get to this level, there are so many different ways they can break you down. There are a few key components in that they, the, the dimensions of the field, 100 metres long, 70 wide. If you take a snapshot um, of, of the All Blacks at any given moment in attack, the full 70 metre width will be filled um, and very few t teams do that. The, the, they mightn't be wingers out in the touchline, but there will be someone out there. And on average, across 70 metres, you're talking whatever, six point something metres between attackers, which is quite sizable. And if you're talk, asking a, a proper hooker to do that in, in most normal teams, they might they might start to get squeaky bones and go, okay, can I make a six metre pass on the run off my left hand? Dane Coles can. And, you know, I know he's, he's actually only on the bench. Cody um, Taylor, Cody can, do Taylor it, yeah. can do it, you know. Yeah. So, so one of the components is their width. And based on that width, you either defend them narrow, at which point their passing is good enough to get around you, or you defend the spaces, which means you have six metres either side of you. Yeah. And if they decide they're not going to pass, they can all step, which means they have a bit of space to go into, and then they flood as support runners and work on offloads. So it's almost impossible to stop. Um, and it's skills-based. And 
I, it's funny, I had an argument with someone last week who said, you know, Ireland will never be able to play like that because it's it's the New Zealand culture from, from being a kid. And the counter-argument is my second time mentioning St. Mary's today. I'm not getting sponsored by them. <laughs> but they, they, they produced four British Lions who played out half. So like there's a, a small school in Rat Mines. And how did they produce four Irish guys to play British Lion out half? Tony Ward, Johnny Sexton, Paul Dean, Vinnie Cunningham in the last 30 years. And because they were actually apparently they weren't allowed to go into the school classroom uh, before 9.15 or something so they all had to play touch rugby in the schoolyard constantly and they believed St Mary's Club believed that created a culture of skill level and appreciation of space because there might be three games and 400 kids running in. And, and that seems to happen at a, at a kindergarten level in New Zealand all the way through and their culture and but at professional level they they hone those skills they don't just um, anticipate you're going to arrive with them and if you do they make them better so all those component parts makes everyone comfortable on the ball and there is a I suppose a theory behind it as well you know you mentioned that we, like it, it's harnessing those skills in a simple really simple structure like if people are lucky enough to be going to the game I know tickets were hard to come by um, obviously you want to notice what's happening on the ball but one of the joys of watching the All Blacks is watching what's going on off the ball so mm. like when there's a kick return there's two guys it's probably Cody Taylor and one of the backs working really hard to get the width on the opposite side of the pitch when there's a line break watching the guys flood forward and, and try and support that ball off the off the ball mm. uh, is really riveting they're one of the well they're they're the best team off the ball as well as on the ball I think and that mm. makes a huge difference because your life is always being made easier Joe Schmidt talks about it all the time mm a guy on the far right wing might actually be responsible for the try because he's out there distracting defenders exactly. and making your life easier. They're really good at that as well as being able to step guys past, do all that cool stuff as well. Well, there's a question here from Robert Clark and Andy, you alluded to the fact that you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't mm. with regards to uh, defensive width. But he wonders where are Ireland most vulnerable this weekend? Is it everywhere? It's mm, a tough question. Yeah, <laughs> um, good question. A yeah. winning question one might suggest. Could be. I think if you break down uh, player for player, um, there's not a huge amount in it. I think there's the second row. We've got a we've got a brilliant and underrated toner, and then this up and coming hero and James Ryan and the hero in the making. Um, that that'll be an interesting battle. Second rows. I think the front row maybe with the like with Tig and the combination scrummaging. I think we we might edge it. It's tough to say, but. Um, Back row potentially, um, I'd maybe edge edge it in New Zealand's favour with the likes of Reed and Savea. Um but then again, you you're not far off with the, with our guys. So, um, I I think it's more you know the damned if you do, damned if you don't is is not so much how they're going to overcome individual battles. It might be something like I saw O'Driscoll highlighted um, during the week in his analysis. At one point, we got uh, our our front row defending fifteen meters on a narrow channel off a rock. He said, "If that happens once against the All Blacks, that's a try." And it'll be something small like that where they outfox a team. It's I we we personnel wise were were par or just below them, but there's very little in in that one on one battle type thing. I think it's a, a a moment or a combination where they create havoc and suddenly. Tyke Furlong, Rory Best and Keane are tired after our scrum and are, are defending a 20 metre blindside with Damien McKenzie and Rico Iani and, you're, and then you're in trouble. Ears. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be something small like that. but Yeah, and I, I don't think there's like a clear weakness that the All Blacks are going after in Ireland. I don't think they really do that. They obviously do do their analysis. I think they like talking about it, not doing it. They, they do a certain amount of it, but they tend to just focus on the stuff we've talked about mm. that they do really well and if you do that consistently well for 80 minutes there's always going to be a window so like the challenge yeah. for Ireland is, is almost one of concentration as much as it is a technical tactical physical thing it's not giving them that one moment that sloppy turnover say I'm thinking of Argentina in the rugby championship where they give up the ball in the 22 and suddenly it's a try down the other end or as you mentioned Andy a guy getting in the wrong position or just being a little bit fatigued in the defensive line it's a it's an 80 minute assault on your concentration levels um, and in fairness to Ireland I think they've built really good consistency in that um, and I think they've 
probably I think Joe Smith always in everything he's done with Ireland has probably always had in his mind we need to beat the All Blacks um, and everything's kind of almost built towards that the way they've set up even the way they retain possession and are so good at doing that um, and not giving those opportunities to teams so it's an 80 minute concentration effort and then they, they seem to have this never ending commitment to doing the simple things well the All Blacks and when they do that exactly as Murray has suggested you're, you, there's going to be a window somewhere Um but the you know that uh, the one thing that's interesting. I remember met uh, Steve Hansen back in twenty fourteen, and he said, and he was dead serious about it. He goes, "We don't know what we're going to do on Saturdays. No way, Ireland do, because they don't have enough structures to pick them off by video analysis. It's all skills based." Does that remain the case, do you think, Murray? Yeah, like they're attacking. Like Andy mentions the width. It's like a one three three one pod with their forwards, but when you've got Brody Retallick in that second pod. And he's got Bowden Barry out the back. He can carry himself. He's got enough skill to tip on a pass under pressure if someone rushes up. He's probably got enough footwork to be the defender himself or pull that pass out the back door. There's always yeah. really good options, really simple options. But when it's done well by a guy who can make a good decision uh, comfortably under pressure, it's just really hard to defend against. Now, Murray, you caught up this week with John Lacey, who has recently announced his intention to retire at the end of the season. Yeah, he's moving into a kind of referee um, coaching and a talent ID role at the end of next season. He's going to do his last international game, actually, on the 1st of December, Argentina and the Barbarians. But yeah, we thought it'd be interesting to catch up with a ref. We've, we've talked to a lot of players in the last few weeks. Um, so just found out a bit about how Johnny has prepared for games and what goes into a referee. Well, Johnny, thanks a million for, for talking to us and, and congrats, I guess, on the, the announcement that you're going to be retiring at the end of the season and moving into a, a, a kind of similar role, I guess, with the RFU. Um, uh, first of all, I guess you've had so many highlights in, in your refereeing career, hopefully a few more still to come. What's kind of stood out for you so far? You've been to World Cup, Six Nations, all of those things. What, what's stood out to you in your career so far? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously you're right. I'm not gone just yet, but uh, to the disappoint of many, I'm sure. But um <laughs> Um, yeah, there's been lots, lots of highlights. Um, obviously, when I started refereeing, um, it was always a goal to get to a World Cup. So I suppose for any, like a player, I suppose a World Cup is always uh, is a benchmark of what to get to. But for me, funny enough, as a player, I always wanted to play in the Six Nations. Never got that far. Munster was as far as I got. But um, the Six Nations is just the best rugby tournament in the world for me. World Cups are special around the knockouts and the best teams. But uh, Six Nations is just 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 amazing. Yeah, it's it's magic stuff. So the, the new role, Johnny. What what like? I mean, is it very self-explanatory? You're coaching and, and kind of ID managing. How will that work on a kind of daily basis? Yeah, well, I suppose obviously we've got six professional referees in in, in Ireland at the moment. Um, so I'll be taking responsibility for the coaching of uh, of of of, the, of those referees first and foremost. Um, obviously, the Ireland a few under David and Sephora they put in a, an excellent system now with Dudley Phillips around. Uh, we are professional referees. We hadn't been for you know for eight of the ten sorry eight of the last ten years of my career. I've been working with the IRFU and refereeing, but the last two there's actually been a change and there's actually fully professional referees. So that's the first important thing that the yeah. IRFU give the opportunity for guys to be full time to try and get up to the best levels that they they possibly can. So it'll be looking after their coaching and obviously then. Within the All Ireland League structure, we have very good referees, but also we want to try and get some some new new blood from ex players and 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 the current crop of refer, good referees that we have in Ireland to get some of those guys up to professional level to ensure that we try and stay at the highest level of refereeing around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you know more than more than most people, what what goes into it? How difficult a job now is it at the top level, and what are the the big challenges for for a referee at that level? Um, yeah, I look, it's 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 the last couple of years in particular. I think um, obviously it's got a little bit more difficult. The obviously it's so important um, to get all the decisions right, but we are human. You can't get everything right. And technology, it's very easy to actually look back at footage and and we see the stuff ourselves that we get wrong. It's not that we're that we're blind to it. We we we, we try and get everything. We do make mistakes. Um, but I think the important thing is that the laws of rugby were written not to be, you know, be re- rewound five times and extra motion replays and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Obviously, the physicality of the game is huge and part of our job that people feel it's, it's our job to protect players from, from getting injured, which is huge. 
um, for for the game. And obviously, there's been a lot of direction from World Rugby around high tackles, headshots, and you know, it's our job to protect them at the end of the day. So we try and provide a framework where there's space for the game and let the game flow, and then also obviously make sure that the players are protected. Yeah, like you mentioned the scrutiny there and it is it is incredible now, like everyone kind of pouring through games, picking on each decision. Like how do you, first of all, I guess, how do you assess the games? Can you give us a bit of insight into that, how it actually works maybe after uh, a test match? Yeah, well, I suppose a, a test match or like, like any week, the games are on weekends. So obviously you take a few hours off after the game and you generally never, never get away from it because if you pick up your phone, there'll be certain stuff on, on social media and stuff like that. If you decide just to wait, you, you'd watch your match fully review. You have a performance reviewer. So uh, in a test match, there'll be obviously an international assessor will have looked at your match. The online stuff goes on the server it's for every, and it's in a public forum within the international referees. Uh, Alan Roland as head of referees or Joel Judge for head of Europe or Greg Garner for Pro 14 each each tournament is their referee manager so they would get feedback from coaches we would we would be as honest as we can um, and put up our own mistakes and good sometimes good decisions we, I think we make some good ones as well as bad yeah. ones but um, yeah so a mixture of everything scrums, lineouts, foul play game management, cards high impact decisions decisions that they influence the game. Sometimes they're right, so yellow cards or red cards might be right. So, mm-hmm. but they do have high impact on the game. Mistakes that lead to scores would be high impact. So, our aim would be to have none of those if possible. But sometimes, sometimes there obviously there obviously is. So, comes to Monday and Tuesday, there would be a bit of interaction over and back between assessors and referee managers of the specific tournament itself. And by Tuesday afternoon, you nearly need to start wrapping up good, bad, or indifferent. Pick out some stuff that you'd like to do better yourself and maybe going forward because your prep starts then maybe for the next game. So you might be going into a a European Cup game or another test match. So you need to switch focus and start to prepare on the two teams that you're going to be reffing for this week, which is a part of our working week. Mm, Yeah, it's it's quite an extensive process. You mentioned there the social media stuff. Like, How hard is it to see that criticism because it probably does especially with refereeing like players obviously get criticism but referees tend to get probably disproportionate levels compared to the mistakes players made how hard is it to deal with that I guess yeah I, I, I stand I, like I'm not, I'm not on social media platforms I mean you know I'll be friendly enough and that Nigel you speak to Nigel a lot like Nigel blocks a lot of people that have a go at him every day there's a lot of nice things said about him but I, I just stay away from it really To, to if I'm being, being honest with you mm. Um sometimes when I read articles in the 42, you're tempted to scroll down to the bottom <laughs> and, and you, you see a few interesting clips there or comments. But uh, look, people are entitled to their opinions. Um, if it was a simple game, we wouldn't love it so much and it would be all very boring, you know. So, But some people can take it a little bit too far, whether you're a referee or, you know, the players get criticisms, which I think are extremely harsh at times. Like, you know, they drop a ball or make a mistake and... You know they're doing the best they can, and it just it just happens from time to time. So I don't think anybody deserves that, especially it's a sport at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the breakdown, it's one area that fascinates fascinates me rather with um with refereeing. Like, is there are you trying to favour attacking teams, or how is the uh, breakdown viewed kind of as a refereeing body? Are you trying to reward positive defensive play, or is it about getting that speed of ball for for attacking teams? For me personally, it's about both teams having the ability to have quick rock ball. You know, they, they class quick rock ball as within three seconds, you know, that the ball should be gone from, from a rock. Now, that's up to each individual attacking team. They might want to slow it down because they might want to kick or they might want to t- set up a mall just off a rock. But if teams want to play quickly, we should have good offside lines and quick ball available to be played. And I don't favour the attack or defence. I think... What we're good at, and I speak from a Pro 14 perspective first, and into Europe and French teams, we've got a hugely competitive breakdown in Pro 14, French rugby. And I think it holds the Irish players in good stead when they go to test matches because we're very good and very competitive at the breakdown in a legal way. And I think there's a lot of good good work being done by the coaches in in the provinces to, 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 to work on that. So... 
I don't think there's the, the, the referee to any any difference the attack and defence is just making a legal contest and making ball quickly available for teams that want to play with that high tempo. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned the provinces there. I, I know you've you trained with Munster a bit in Leinster and I saw a photo of you in with Ireland d- during the week there. Is yeah. that important for you as a referee to be involved with teams almost on a training basis as well as in the games? It, it is actually. Like I've been doing it for a good few years um, with, with Munster obviously because I obviously worked for Munster for, for a good few years before I became a pro ref and I've been in with Leo Johan, uh, Razi Erasmus over the last, and obviously with the national team. Like m- my role there is only to be a support for the coaches, you know, ref and live scrums, live malls, you know, the breakdown off sidelines. Obviously, the, the teams don't go full contact, but where I can is on, on entry at breakdown and off sidelines. So rather than the coaches doing it, is that the coaches can actually really focus on the lines of running of players and body heights, etc. And they don't have to worry about the referee inside of things. So, you know, that's that's a part of, it happens in all countries now where refs are going in. I think going forward, um, you know, particularly with Leinster and, 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 and Munster and Ireland, their discipline is, is key to a lot of their success. And, you know, Leo, Johan, Joe, you know, they, they really, really go hard on the offside lines to make sure that there's very good pitchers there for referees where, and you can see, like, Ireland is so respected among the international referees because we are very disciplined. Sometimes I get jealous because Ireland are so disciplined at scrum time and breakdown that I wish I could ref them because <laughs> I end up refing teams that are a lot more difficult. But yeah. people like referee in Ireland because they have, they're good guys and they, they, they give good pictures at scrum time and breakdown off sidelines. So... It's good that that impression is there, and and it's as well deserved. Yeah, the scrum is such a big part of it, Johnny. Like for people on the outside of professional rugby watching games, it can be very difficult to understand what's going on in there. Like, how are referees maybe educated and I, I guess support in that area? Are there ex props talking to you guys or trying to help you understand that process in the game? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all referees are to do is not to is to understand the laws of what, you know, are binding and driving angles and to, to try and keep it as simple as possible. But I think I'm so lucky that my former teammate, Jerry Flannery, is, is there, you know, when I go and do scrum time or go with John Fogarty, another Tipperary man with Leinster, that yeah. I can spend a bit of time on their scrums, talk to them, uh, and obviously Greg Feig with the national team, just have a chat with him about scrums or what's going well and what's not going well. So... To the IRFU have those resources available to the referees to sit down and, and get more education around different areas of the game. Um, so that, 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 that's fantastic. But I think, you know, the, the more you ref and more you ref a training, the better for, like a player, needs to be out there practicing stuff. Referees are the same. Just get out with teams and ref some scrums and just get used to the pictures that they're and, and try and get the clear and obvious offences rather than, than obviously guessing is just not an option for us. Mm. Definitely, yeah. The TMO process has obviously been in the news again in the last week uh, since the All Blacks England match. Just generally with that process, are you kind of happy with the way that World Rugby are encouraging it for for referees to kind of take um, take that ownership back, I guess, of the whole process? Yeah, very much so, yeah. I I think it it was just getting too much. Um, I'm not going to hammer down in any other leagues, but... I think in the Pro 14, we had a kind of simple enough process where we try and get as much on field as we can with, with your assistant referees. That is the ideal situation. The game is moving so fast now and split-second decisions around tries. It's very useful to be able to have the technology for sure. But I think we maybe referees are getting a little bit lazy around, you know, now we let the TMO pick that up or we won't work as hard. But I think there's very much a, a world rugby-driven focus now around Team of Three must pick up stuff and TMO is just there to get very clear obvious of foul play that are missed and obviously around the try decisions. And we've seen a couple of interesting ones over the last couple of weeks mm. that were could have changed matches in the last, in injury time, basically. So it, it is good to have that technology and uh, obviously... Uh, there was a soccer match recently where there was a perfectly good goal scored and Charlie Austin, I think is his name, oh, yeah. was given out that show that they should have the technology and it's, you know, and I can understand his point of view actually, any frustration, but yeah. but the TMO doesn't get everything right either when it becomes, you know, someone's opinion. But it's, when it goes to screen, the TMO, the, the TMO is to be led by the referee, particularly around foul play. 
So it's the referee's responsibility. Mm. I guess just kind of one last one, kind of open-ended question. Eddie Jones has suggested um, that maybe two referees on the pitch will be something that we get to in the future. Just from your own point of view, obviously living it and having the experience on the pitch moving forward, are, are there things you think the game could do to make life easier for referees? Yeah, I personally don't see the two referee thing working because uh, I, just, I don't know. I just I just can't actually visualize it in my head. Mm. Um, I think if the team of three that I just mentioned work really hard and get all the offside lines good and a strong refereeing in that area, and and, and the offside lines provide the space to make the game entertaining, and you have a TMO then to uh, to maybe double-check high-impact decisions or incidents of foul play that those three individuals have missed, I think I'd be happy enough to leave it the way it is. You know, uh, rugby league, is, he's referring to is a different game. They have to be back X amounts and, you know, it can be, it's very different to rugby. It's the, the continuity is not there. Mm. And I think if you have, why we like rugby union more than the league is the continuity aspect that it keeps going. And I think if you have two referees that are have different interpretations on the flow of a rugby match, then the referees will just maybe disagree with one another and it'll just turn into a bit of a farce. And we'll have no continuity, we'll have too many penalties, and then it won't be the game that we all love in the first place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, I hope the, the next half season treats you really well. and Enjoy that Argentina-Barbarians match. I imagine that's going to be a fun one to, to finish up. Looking forward to it, yeah. my old uh, my old, my old coach in Munster, yeah, Razzie's coaching the Barbarians, so that's going to be <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a good a good way to finish out Test Rugby, yeah. Absolutely, but best of luck, Johnny. Thanks a million for taking the time to chat to us and enjoy the rest of the season Thank and good buddy. luck with the new role. Thank you very much. Andy Dunn, how can Ireland beat the All Blacks? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, how can Ireland beat the All Blacks? Um, I, I would say to try and slow down their ball. Um, is one way of doing it because like we mentioned their attention to detail and their commitment to doing the simple things well that often comes down to if if and when they are tackled like something as basic as their ball placement and their body position and how they fight for a, a, a foot or a foot and a half to get the ball back on their own side it allows the guys who are smashing in on to hit a, to hit that rook it allows them a clean pathway and it allows their nine in Smith to get the ball away cleanly all that is happening in probably under three seconds if we can slow that down you take a lot of flow out of their attack but you know it's not like there's a list of how to beat the all blacks here's the top five (laughs) ways and somebody's blog but you know I think that would be one of the key areas yeah, if you were to write a blog, Murray, about how to beat the All Blacks, <laughs> I'd be coaching Ireland if I actually knew. <laughs> um, yeah, but looking back through those four defeats, so like Ireland beat them in 2016 in Chicago. There was the Lions in 2017. Australia did it in 2017 as well. And there was a Springboks this year. Um, they were all quite different matches. One of the main things that stood out was just how unbelievably clinical all four of those teams were in those games against the All Blacks. They're not perfect. Like They don't defend as well as they attack. They give up a lot of line breaks. It's quite clear that the players have a lot more enthusiasm, I would say, for attacking and spend a lot more of that in their development, in their club sides. So there are going to be opportunities. But you have to be, like Ireland and Chicago had nine visits into the 22 against the All Blacks and they scored seven of those times, which is a really good return. Um like England were a little bit sloppy. There were two or three visits in the second half, I can remember off the top of my head, uh, where they didn't get a good return. And I think of the Lions, they were five out of six in those visits to the 22, scoring tries, scoring points. Um, Australia 2017 as well. Moments as well where they took decisions to go for the corner and go after those tries. Um, knowing in a, in a sense that they were going to concede to the All Blacks a little bit later in the game. And you saw Ireland do that in 2016 as well. Uh, turn down possible three-pointers and go to the corner even early in the game. Uh, kind of set out your stall. Now, obviously, you do want to prevent the the All Blacks scoring, but I think you have to almost accept the fact that they're going to get a couple of tries in this game. One of the things defensively, I think, that they do differently to most other teams, um, like everyone has like 14 or 13 in the line now, they actually keep their scrum half out the back of it. And you saw it for Conor Murray's try in 2016, where Aaron Smith is in behind the rock, 
suddenly he comes up into the line, he's reorganizing a couple of props and we mentioned those guys maybe in defensive alignment, they, they can often be the weakness because maybe they're not as quick moving, their decision making sometimes isn't as quick um, and in that instance he's trying to call, uh, I think it was Owen Franks to, to, to come from the other side of the rock, fold around, uh, CJ Sander in fairness gets a little block on but there was just that confusion, Conor Murray dummies and goes through for his try. You've seen a lot of teams go after that this year. Argentina, South Africa have done it. The Aussies have done it with a bit of success. A couple of line breaks, um, a couple of penalties. Uh, there's there's several examples of it. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how Ireland kind of work that, that aspect of it because uh, Aaron Smith will be coming in out of the line. He'll be dropping out. He's trying to organise guys on the fold as well at the same time. So there's often a lot of moving parts and... Probably they will miss Conor Murray in that aspect, those decision-making moments. But um, you'd back Joe Schmidt to have picked out a couple other little bits like that as well. Um, and his intellect, I guess, is, is a big advantage in this game. But that'll be an interesting part of it for me. Yeah, like clearly you have to be clinical if you're going to put these guys away. You ne- Like you alluded to there, Murray, I think you need to nearly take every single chance you get. Mm. We saw in the second game in 2016, there's that sort of that little moment where Sean O'Brien comes around off the back of a scrum was it or a mall actually I can't even remember but I just remember the knock on it was a missed opportunity in the 22 back of the mall yeah yeah and you kind of feel as though if that happens again it's like yeah this one's going to get away from us but from a player's perspective then like if you do miss a couple of opportunities early against them mm-hmm. do do like how do you prevent the doubts from creeping in because you, you, I presume half of you is thinking like yeah we've, we might have missed our chance here already well in Chicago I think even what were we 12, 14 points clear with six minutes to go? There's nobody kind of, you know, walking out and putting the kettle on, is there? Like it's, <laughs> you, you, you've got to have, yeah, I mean, and no one is ever going to be 20 points clear than with time to go, but it's just how, how dangerous they are. And they can, they can turn that 14 point deficit as they did against South Africa um, in the, in the recent series, really on a sixpence. I think an interesting challenge for, for, Ireland looking at what England did last week is if if we get early penalties do we take the points and just try and build momentum and build confidence or do we take them on and try and you know knowing it's very hard to to know the answer and um but 3.6 points 9 points 12 points in in the first 15 minutes do we pick off four penalties or do we give you know throw the kitchen sink at them I, I i genuinely don't know the answer i know Murray, you're saying i'd fully agree by the way you know, if you're clinical in the opposition 22 against new zealand you've a great chance of beating them but if you take the gamble go for the line out don't get it and you've spurned three kickable penalties that's nine points kind of begging and that's that's again probably not enough against them Mm. there's a lot of kind of decision making responsibility on, mm. on Best and Sexton and getting a feel for the game as well we mentioned Damien McKenzie earlier on as well I've no doubt they're going after him in the air like Joe Schmidt mentioned it immediately after the Argentina game he was trying to kind of pretend he hadn't really seen the England game he'd probably analysed it already <laughs> at that stage yeah. uh, but he talked about England targeting him and it sounded like he expected a, a change there as well so McKenzie while a brilliant attacking player is obviously small he doesn't get up as high in the air and they're absolutely going to pepper him and, and look for a bit of return out of that as well. So, yeah, I think he can expect a, a busy enough night. Yeah, it'll rain down on him, I'd say. Uh, before we get your predictions, gentlemen, we'll give away a book. I think Robert Clark, he asked uh, who, where are Ireland most vulnerable. They're kind of, kind yeah, of stumped you a little bit. Good, good question from Robert. Uh, we'll sort that out. Robert will be in touch. And thanks a million to everybody for their questions as well. Okay, predictions time. We only have one game to look at. Yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to go for New Zealand in this game. Oh, Jesus, um, I just think they're missing Sam Kane. They're missing Joe Moody, who are big players for him. Sam Kane in particular, he just hits so hard. But Ireland are missing Conor Murray. And I just, I think removed from the week and, and the excitement of the week, like, you know, if you'd said a month ago, Conor Murray's not going to be there. It, it did look like it at that stage. I just think he's such an important player for them um, that it's going to be a, a challenge they can't really overcome. So I think New Zealand, on a very narrow margin, will win the game. Andy, do you go along with that? Oh, no, Andy, you're giving me the look to suggest that you agree with Murray again. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, in the age of anti-intellectualism that we're living in and, and being a, be a populist, um, <laughs> I think we're going to win by a point, even though every piece of information at hand yeah. and uh, everything in my head says we won't, we you ought not for to. President, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go with the populist, uh, the populist vote. I think for some reason we're just going to sneak it by a point. So two. is it a God instinct thing totally, as opposed to... Totally, yeah. Right. Uh, well, that, 
It loses some credence in well. <laughs> Oh, it's good. It's a really interesting one. I can't wait for it. it like, it, you're right, Murray, at the start of the show, you're talking about, like, it's, you can get excited for this game, you know? Yeah, it's class. Even outside a tournament, it just feels like something bigger than yeah. a November test. It feels like a really important moment, obviously, with what's to come next year as well. Absolutely. It tees it up very nicely. Well, listen, that's all we've got time for. Andy Dunn, thanks a million for your time. Murray as well. Cheers. Cheers pleasure Cal. as Thank always. You. And thanks to you guys as well for listening at home. Uh, a reminder, if you want to get more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly, particularly this weekend. Things could get pretty wild. Uh, thanks a million. Until next Thursday. Take it easy.